Trading Night, episode 66. Who are these people to tell me what my comfort level should be and what I'm doing? Like, it's my money. And, and I've said this to people so many times is when you trade, when you go to the grocery store and you line up to pay for your groceries, the cashier does not ask you, so how many pips did you grab today? They ask you, are you paying by cash or credit? The market's going to do something. Your job is not to fight it. The market never, ever runs away. It's always there. That personal diary of trading will make you a much better trader than I could be right about the direction, but wrong about the trade. Don't focus on the monetary side. Trying to make too much money on a trade is what I have seen killed every trader. Your losses offer you some of the greatest insight you can find into your mistakes. Relax, learn the process. Candlestick pattern trading is a freaking trap. Don't be in a rush to become a millionaire. Let the market tell you what the market wants to tell you. This podcast is not financial, trading, or investing advice of any kind. What's up traders, welcome to another installment of the Trading Up podcast. I'm your host Cam Hawkins and today we have a trader by the name of Uncle Ted on the show. Not the full name, not his real name uh, as you can guess, but uh, he was mentioned on the show before by one of the past guests, episode 63 with Raja Rakil, otherwise known as Wix Don't Lie. Now he's part of the, well he's not just part of the crew that Raja hangs with on YouTube pretty much every trading day doing live streams and giving away a lot of free education and letting guys see how they trade the market. He was also Raja's mentor and that's why we have him on the show today. So we've got that interview coming up. We jumped on to a live uh, onto one of his charts after the show. So there's a video as well. If you head over to tradingnut.com, you'll get to see that uh, alongside the interview as well. So guys, You're going to enjoy this. It's coming up in a second. But before we get into it, I do want to talk to you about a little life hack that I have used for probably the last year, if not, yeah, probably the last year. And I think some of you will get benefit out of it. Some of you will think that I'm I'm crazy. Some of you will think that it's a complete and utter load of rubbish. But I tell you what, it does work. And even though it sounds a little bit cuckoo, it does work. Now, here's what it is. Well, I... Let's just start off by saying I've adapted it slightly to to what uh, to the way that I do it. So if you would have listened to my if you listened to my show back in the fifty two traders days, you would have heard me talk about like starting to have cold showers instead of hot showers. Now th- this day and age, uh, a year or so on, uh, if not longer, I pretty much have cold showers every well, it's, it's more often than not. So maybe ninety percent of my showers are cold showers from the start to the end. The other thing that I'll like to do is, you know, especially in the summer, if the if the weather's behaving itself, I'll head to the beach, and where I live, the the water's never that warm. So, like this week, for example, I went over, went out to the uh, the local beach, which was 15 minutes away, and there's a nice spot to do a bit of snorkeling. If you're on my Instagram, you would have seen a little snap of that. Uh, and I was in the water probably for about half an hour, maybe 35 minutes. The reason I was in there that long wasn't just for the snorkeling. I was actually trying to get as cold as I could possibly get before I, you know, started sort of shivering and I was like, okay, right, time to get out. I've seen something also, this is, sorry, this is an aside to the life hack that I'm about to tell you, but I've seen something on a, on a, on a doco or something or on a TV program where um, it is actually quite good for you, this whole sort of cold water thing. So from a, from a mindset, mentality point of view, it is quite good to, to it, it, I suppose it's good stress, right? It's putting your body under good stress so when the bad stress comes, you can deal with it a lot better. So just side note here, but the life hack I'm going to tell you is something I 
um, pretty much do every morning around about the time they have the cold shower. And it's thinking about something that is going to happen during the day. And, and you don't, you're actually not even thinking about what it is. You're thinking about the end result. So at the end of the day, you're just basically telling yourself that something amazing's happened. Right, it's almost like that sort of clickbait title. Something amazing is going to happen. It's something amazing has happened to me today. I'm at the end of the day. Something amazing's happened. Don't know what it is yet, but at the end of the day, I'm going to look back and see what it was. And sure enough, it happens more often than you would you would think. And it seems to be happening more and more often. The longer I've done it, the more and more often it happens. Like just this past week. I was uh, I was having to come up with a with a with a figure, right? So I was having to come up with a monetary figure for an hourly rate to uh, to to put together for a piece of work I was going to do um, completely outside of this stuff, and I didn't have a clue. So what I, did, I thought, who can I ring? Ah, oh, there was this guy that I was working with doing the same sort of thing. I'll ring him, find out. Then I thought, oh, let's just have a look online. Did that. I ended up just coming up with a figure based on what I saw online. About to go and meet the people that I was going to be doing the work for. And what do you know? I bump into the guy I was going to ring in the middle of probably one of the busiest parts of the city, which I'm never there. He's probably never there. He's walking across the street right into me. So I end up having a chat to him and asking him the question that I was going to ask him on the phone and then go and have my meeting. So this sort of stuff is, is literally just... That's like one example out of probably ten so far uh, in this particular in this month even in February and we're twenty three days into the month. There's probably even more. I sort of often look back and think, you know, two or three things have happened that have been pretty amazing every single day. So guys, little life hack, give it a go. But I do recommend that you do it when your body or mind is sort of outside its normal state. Um, so you really got it. So that's why the cold shower comes into it. And also, you have sort of need to give it a bit of time as well. So it's not going to happen in the, or it may not happen in the first week or first day or even first month. It might be a few months in and then you start to sort of look back and go, oh, hang on a sec, this happened. That's a bit crazy. So anyway, that's my little rant for the day. I know I've sort of gone on a bit, five minutes here. So let's just get on with the show, guys. Uh, it's with Uncle Ted. It's fantastic. I know you're going to love it. Let's do it. All right, folks, so we've got Uncle Ted here on the show uh, from the well, the founder of the Forex family. If you guys have heard of that uh, that particular group, I first heard about it years ago. It was, uh, I believe, on Instagram. Knocked around a little bit. I talked about it with your your, uh, your mate, uh, Raja Wickstone Lai. Um, and in fact, I think I heard about you way before, before uh, Raja and had a guy on the show ages ago called Rag. Uh, this was probably three years ago, so it goes goes to show how long ago it was that I uh, that I actually first heard about you. So, Ted, welcome to the show. Um, thanks for coming on. No, I appreciate it. Um, I mean, thanks for you know reaching out to me. It's always uh, a pleasure to sit down and talk with everybody and sort of you know answer questions and give people a feel for what we do on a daily basis. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, look, to start off with, I, I mean, I don't really know a lot about you. I thought you were this mythical sort of <laughs> trader that was like really underground for, for and nobody could, could reach him. And then like yesterday, I, I saw a live stream, uh, <laughs> IG live stream pop up and I was like, oh, there he goes. I didn't even know what you, I yeah. didn't even know what you looked like. So um, do you want to tell us your sort of backstory, how you got into trading? And I'll, I'll dive into a little uh, detail on some of those things. 
Yeah. Um, okay. So I, I did finance and law in university. Um, so I'm a little bit older in the social media generation um, in terms of, you know, learning the trade and actually trading. Um, I did work for a couple of firms. Uh, I did uh, asset management, uh, investment compliance, uh, did, did a little bit of mergers acquisitions. And I also did, um, I, I've actually finished my stint doing investment marketing. So during that time, I was also licensed with the SEC, which is in the US because I was doing US compliance and Canadian compliance at the same time. So I had my like my series six, my series seven, 24, 26, which I mean, at the time people were like, wow, that's amazing. I didn't really take into in consideration. It was just part of my job. And it got to a point where, you know, I wanted to change and, you know, a couple of life stories pop in there and, you know, you get a little bit of push into a corner and you decide, hey, you know, let's take a look at trading. And it came a little bit na too natural to me because um, for the longest time since I was, you know, 18, 19, I, used, I played a lot of poker and poker, I always equate poker to trading in terms of risk management, in terms of variance, in terms of understanding your opponent. So when I looked at this, it seemed a lot it seemed a lot more straightforward just because of the fact that your opponent never really changes. Like the market is always going to be there. There's, there's permutations in the market, but it, in, when you equate it to poker, you know, as you go up the buy-in levels, I guess, as you play a bigger buy-in game or you, you put more money in to, into the games, the, the opponents are generally, or, you know, usually more difficult or more seasoned. And here it didn't matter what size trades you put in, you know, the market wasn't going to turn around and, and reject that trade, so to speak. It would just, you know, it's up to you to manage your risk at that point. So it, it, it's been quite the journey over the last, um, I would say five, five, five years now in terms of trading and mentoring people how to trade and, you know, the whole social media aspect. So, you know, when you say you didn't really know me, people ask me all the time, they say, do you know this person? No, sorry, I don't. Like, it's not intentional. It's just yeah. the world's so big, right? Mm. It, it is indeed. So so going back into your, um, it's interesting, we'll touch on the poker thing again in a little bit, but um, so you went from, I suppose, deciding to trade after having all this financial education and experience in, in firms. What what did you start off with? Um, I started off at about five, I think it was 5,000 at the time. And really, it was just, to supplement my income. Um, you know, I was playing poker a few nights a week as I was working and, you know, there's a negative connotation associated with poker, right? You know, you hear people, you play all night, you must be addicted to your, you know, you have a gambling problem. How much are you losing? Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily, I was losing. It was just, the games were so good. Like there were bad players. So I looked at it as an opportunity. And then when I saw trading and I started, you know, reading about it and I met a few people and I started doing it, I was like, oh, I can just sit at home and do this. And I watched all my online poker friends play online poker, and I was never good enough to be an online poker player. Like a live poker player is a little bit easier. Game's a little bit slower. You get more recreational players. And I figured this is my shot. Like I have to now put the effort in to get good at this because I think I could sit at home all day and supplement my income. And eventually that's what I did. I never really took trading uh, at the beginning like, in terms of a serious nature, it was, I had a good paying job, you know, I, w I was okay in that respect. I just said, Hey, if I can make an extra couple hundred bucks a week, you know, that pays for gas, that pays for going out, pays, it, it supplemented my income. I never thought I'd become a full-time trader. It was never my dream. Um, I looked at nine to five. I was like, well, here I'm at nine to five. I mean, it's a stable, stable income. Yeah. I got a crappy boss. You know, I don't really like what I'm doing, but everybody else does it. You might as well just continue. Right. Yeah. And, and cause how, how old were you at that time? Um, I, was, I was 34 at that time mm -hmm. when I started trading. Yeah, because I'm 40 now. So, yeah. Um, 
yeah. So it was, it was like all through my twenties and you know my thirties, basically, I, I was almost working full time. I started working when I was twenty two. As as soon as I got out of university, I took my first full time job, and I mean, I was working before that, like part time and stuff, but. It was just that's what I figured what life was, right? You know, your parents tell you go get a good education, go work, and you know just pay the bills and do everything. And you know, you sort of sit back and you start to realize like this isn't for me anymore. Like this is getting ridiculous. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of what you do, and and you know your boss is getting on you for stuff that really they shouldn't be getting on you for, but they have to because their boss is getting on to you because you know as you go through the layers of a corporation people become disconnected with what's actually going down on the ground level and all they're looking at is objectives and, you know, meeting the bottom line and it becomes counterintuitive because I always laugh when, you know, they say, Oh, we have to cut all these people. And I look around and I'm like, well, who's going to do the work. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> and so, something's got to give. Right. So I always looked at that and it, it really frustrated me at my job where, you know, you, you introduce new ideas, you, you want to try and be innovative and, you know, they just crush you because, you know, you're, 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 I guess switching the paradigm on everybody and you're, you're, you're teaching people something that, Oh, this is what we want to do. I, there was countless times where I, I introduced ideas and, you know, I got, I got shot down and I sort of sat there and said, like, have you gone outside and take a look? Like what's going on in the world? Like we're not using paper anymore, everybody, you know, like it was just little things like that. Yeah. I know. I love you. I have that experience. I'm doing three days a week at the moment, and I have that experience pretty much every day of those three days. Yeah, um, and you know, management always tells you like they're on your side and they want you to bring ideas in, and and I think really they just do that for the sake of doing it because you know a, a corporation, an industry, they're big machines. You can't just turn them on a dime. Like they have, it's such a slow change, and you know you get a few people that can affect the change, but for the most part, they stay on the same path. I mean, what's if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? And was was it forex that you decided to start off with, or did you look yeah. at stocks before? I, you know what? I looked at forex originally back in like 2013, um, just because of the fact that there was the ability to sort of, you know, you, you're controlling your your ideas in terms of with stocks. There's so many. And when you look at the returns and you look at the ability to generate income, you needed a large amount of capital. And I looked at FX and I was seeing, you know, like, hey, if I if, you know, this moves like 10 pips or 15 pips, I can make 100 bucks. And I was satisfied with that. And the barrier to entry became a little bit easier in terms of actually trading FX compared to, you know, buying shares and holding shares or even looking at futures or options as well. Okay, cool. And so let's take, let's sort of go back to, you know, you, you first sat in front of the charts. I mean, how did you decide to decipher what was going on? So a lot of what I've done has been counterintuitive. Um, and I think that's what I've always tried to teach other traders. And if you notice, and, and you know, you've, you've had a, a wealth of experience talking to many different traders and just, you know, being able to dissect their brains, you'll find that everybody has a unique style that they were able to tailor their own. And it was the same thing like when you play cards, it's the same idea. You know, you, you look at all the aggressive players and you're like, I want to play like that guy. And you end up losing because you don't know what's inside their head. You don't know when they turn on the aggression, when they turn off the aggression. Um, it's the same thing with trading. Like trading, I looked at and, you know, having some market experience, obviously, with my job and, and you know, through finance, my finance degree, you know, what goes up must go down right? Everything moves in waves. And that was the first thing that's the, I guess, the basis of trading is nothing's ever going to go up forever and nothing's ever going to go down forever. So then it came down to, okay, let me look at this chart and let me see 
the pattern. Let me see what's actually going on here, and let me see if I can start picking off ideas to supplement my own trading and saying, okay, if this happens, then this should happen. And having the background in terms of playing cards, in terms of probability of and, and statistics, you know, I sat there and I just studied and I said, okay, let me see if this is going to happen again. And one of the first things I've taught a lot of people, you know, when I've mentored them and, you know, when people ask me for help is I, I used to play the game of guess the direction. So as I was going to work in the morning, what I do, you know, obviously getting on the train or getting on the bus to get to work, before I got on the train or, you know, I lost reception with cell phone, I would take a look at the charts and I would say, okay, where do I think this pair is going? And I would mark, mark it down on my phone or, you know, on a piece of paper, I would, I put the price down. And then I would go back to it to a few, few hours later and I would look, if it hit the price that I was anticipating, then my thought process was accurate in that respect. If it didn't, then I would go back and dissect and say, why did that happen? And I kept doing that over and over again as I was trading. So if I wasn't trading anymore, I was playing that game. But then what it did is it prepared you for when you're actually taking entries. And what you'd say is, okay, this, this, is, this should happen. This is the probability of this should happen. And I noticed on the higher time frames, everything moved a lot slower. So you almost have a forgiveness where, you know, use a four-hour time frame or an hour or a daily time frame. There's a forgiveness factor there because – things move so slowly on those frames that you know if you if you picked the wrong direction you weren't going to get burned as fast if you were on like a 15 minute chart or you know even a 30 minute chart where direction changes constantly every candle almost it seems in, in some instances so that's where i started and then as i graduated through proficiency with with trading i moved into the smaller time frames because i was realizing hey instead of waiting 4 hours for something to happen I can now wait an hour, 15 minutes, and see if I can get that same idea at that point. Okay, and so how did that how did that look from a progression? You sort of said earlier on that you were, you know, pretty good out of the gates. How did it go? Were there any hiccups along the way? Yeah, there were <laughs> there were quite, there were a couple, and <laughs> like uh, I call them rites of passage. Um, you know, everyone always talks about like you know blowing an account, and I. Never yeah. understood that idea, to be honest, because it, I oh, once again, I equate it back to gambling. If I'm sitting at the table um, and I buy into a poker game and I sit with $500 and I lose the first 300 so I'm down to $200, the goal there isn't just to spray the rest of it and say, hey, you know, whatever happens, <laughs> happens. But that's what I find a lot of people do, right? They'll, 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 yeah. they'll um, get a trading account, they'll load up $500 or $200 or $100, and, you know, they lose, say, 50% or 60% of their account, and then it's just, okay, well, you know, I'm not doing good anyway, so let's see if I can just win it all back or, you know, go through, the through you know, and grab it all again. And with my trading, um, we started in the city um, because I, I, I did the same thing following um, poker, like all my friends that play poker on Sundays are all the major tournaments on all the major websites. So that's the poker day. If you if you're an online poker player, you know, mm -hmm. Sundays as like, that's where they have the Sunday million on poker stars. That's where there's the big events on party poker. And that's where you make all your big money. The rest of the week, you're sort of just grinding these small stakes tournaments. But Sunday, that's where like, it's like the Super Bowl every week on Sunday. And I was in chat room with all my friends on Skype and you know at the time and they were going through hand histories oh I know this guy from this game you know he did this he did this and I looked at that and I said you know if you could build that kind of environment for trading now you're not focused or you're not having to focus on 
20 different pairs or, you know, in front of the charts all the time because you have so many eyes looking at that. And then the next step or the next progression is saying, hey, if I can train or I can teach people how to think like me and then start modifying that, then when I come into the different chat rooms, you know, suddenly it's like, here's all these charts, here's all this analysis, and you almost have like the, the grocery store effect where you can just pick off the shelf which analysis you like, which one doesn't work for you, and then you can start executing without having to dissect all the chart um, that you would have had to do on your own. So in Toronto, we actually built, and, and Raja was actually part of, part of this too, um, we built a, a group on a Sunday. We would meet once a month on a Sunday, and there was about 10 of us, and we would sit and go before the market opened on Sunday night, we would sit for two hours and we would just talk about trading. We would talk about what happened throughout the last couple of weeks, how we've been doing, um, did you find anything new, like have you read anything of interest? So we really started that and it was a little private group and we had a good time, you know, everyone come in and talk about trading and, you know, they always ask me like, oh, Ted, how'd you do this week? You know, you've been trading really well. And I remember the one time I came in, I had lost 90% of my account. Um, I had traded the pound AUD news and it was the Aussie uh, interest rate. And I kept taking um, sell positions as the rate, uh, as it got worse, the news, hoping that it would just retrace. And I kept taking position, p- taking positions. And at one point I was almost at break even. I think it was at like minus 10,000 and I could have closed all my positions and just lost 10,000 ended up losing out of a $96,000 account, I dropped all the way down to 10000 So funny story. I had to go in the next week on the Sunday. That was our end of our month. It was the end of the month. I had to go in that, that Sunday and talk about trading. And, you know, everyone's like, how would you do? I'm like, yeah, I had a bit of a mishap on Thursday night. I lost basically all my account. And, you know, everyone's sitting there looking at you going, you know, you're supposed to be like the one who's the good trader. Like, what the hell did you just do? And the thing is, it really paralyzed me for a while. I sat back and I took a look at what I did and I was like, that was the dumbest thing in the world. Like, why did I keep doing that? But when you treat it like a game and you tr- you don't really have a a sense of the money because I was working. So what did I care? You know, if, yeah. if, if I made twenty or $30,000 in a month trading, that's great. Like I pulled out a bit here and there, but then it's, you know, like if I lost it, I still have my job. So I was always on that edge of, you know, let me see what I can push. And that was the one time I pushed way too hard and it and it almost broke my account. But it didn't defeat me in the sense that I, I find a lot of people get defeated when they lose a lot the majority of their account because it was to me it's like I can just do it again. Like I'm good. Like I've got still like ninety six I think I had ninety six hundred dollars in my account. Yeah, I'll just run it up again. Like give me a few weeks and I'll just keep trading. You know, I'll go back to the, my small lot sizes and I'll just run my account up again. I, and I ended up doing that because there's a mental barrier that a lot of new traders don't find, that don't see. And I talked about this the other day with a couple of people is when you start trading, you already have a preconceived notion of who you are and what you think you're entitled to. And as much as people say they, they're entitled to or they think they should be rich or they should be successful – that negative, you know, person on your shoulder, which is your alter ego, sits on your shoulder and he weighs on you heavy because, you know, you're always doubting. You think about all the, the worst parts of your life, you know, having a girl reject you or 
an embarrassing moment. Those things stick with you. Like that's a psyche thing. So now you're going into trading, which is one of the hardest things, and you're going to be successful. Like why should you be successful, right? And that's a mental barrier that a lot of people can't fight through because they turn around, they, they put all this time in, and I hear people all the time, oh, Ted, you know, I ran my account up from $1,000 to 5000 and I lost it. And I said, well, why would you lose it? Well, you know, I was at five thousand. I'm like, yeah. So why didn't you keep going? Like, just keep keep on the trajectory. But it's it's a mental thing because they're like, it, 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 this shouldn't be that easy, and it and it's not that easy. But you forget how much how many hours you've put into the actual craft to get to the point where you're making decisions and you're making money. And people lose sight of that because they're enjoying what they're doing. Like if you dug a ditch for three days straight and you dug like a, a six meter ditch, you would be exhausted. And you would get paid, and you'd be like, well, damn straight I should get paid. I just dug six meters of a ditch because it was hard yeah. work. But when you're sitting like, you know, I'm sitting right now in, in my office, and we're, we're chatting, yeah, I'm, I'm hanging out. Like, this is not hard work. You know, like, I'm not, it's not labor intensive. I'm not sweating, right? But people don't equate those ideas, and that's the biggest fault that a lot of people go through when they're trading. They don't, they don't understand that you put in so many hours. You have to pay yourself for those hours. So, yeah, the trade could last 10 minutes and you make yourself 50 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever you're making. Go back and figure out how many hours you put in to get to that point. And then you start to humble yourself. You're like, man, I'm getting paid minimum wage here. (laughs) But but like when you think about it, that's the biggest mindset and it's the biggest thing that you – don't realize as a trader. And when you start adjusting your mindset and you start treating it like a job or treating it like an hourly rate, even like when I used to play poker, it was the same thing. People play poker based on hourly rate. Like, hey, I'm at the tables for six hours. I made $6,000 today. That's $1,000 an hour. I want to keep a certain hourly rate. So, you know, if you turned around and in the first hour you made $2,500 playing cards, why are you sitting there longer? Like you did your job, go home. You you, you've increased your hourly rate like exponentially, but people aren't inclined to do that because they look at trading as like, hey, this is the chart. This is what I've read. This is what I do. I execute and give me money, but they don't have a full wholesome circle on you know, what is involved in actually getting to that point. You know, it's the same thing when you ride a bike. You don't forget all the times you fell off your bike. You just go right racing down the street now because, hey, bike riding is easy. But, you, but if you turn around and you look at all the times you fell off your bike – you realize, no, it wasn't easy. You just forget all the bad times. You just remember now the good times. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's like it goes back to. I mean, human psychology is, mm-hmm. is, is a crazy thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, just yesterday. Uh, I mean, like at the moment, I'm doing intermittent fasting, so I'm only eating dinner, and then I have dinner again the next day. So I skip lunch and breakfast, and just go through and no, no, you know, no yeah. calories at all, and. Uh, the ladies in the office, so I do three days, and they were sort of saying, "Oh, why do you do this stuff? Why don't you just enjoy your life? You know, you could, you could, uh, you could walk outside and get hit by a bus." I said, and I said to them, "Yeah, I said, but hang on a sec, I'm sitting here getting paid to do this, mm-hmm. and also you guys, I, I'm, you're doing eight hours a day here. So hang on a sec, enjoy your life. You're sitting in a chair for eight hours a day." doing something that somebody's paying you to do because it's not your hobby. It's not something you've chosen to do. It's doing, you're doing something because you're you're getting paid to do yeah. it. So why don't you break through that sort of barrier of, you know, connecting your time to, to money? And so, I mean, that's what I was trying to get across to them. And, um, and they sort of, they sort of couldn't, couldn't see it. And I'm like, 
I'm like sort of went on and kept going on about it, and they just didn't see it. They didn't see the fact that you know they're going. Oh, why don't you just enjoy your life? Well, hang on a sec, guys. You're sitting here for five days a week. At least I'm only doing three, and and you're you know <laughs> you're doing eight hours a day plus commutes. Mm-hmm. Who's enjoying their life, right? right? Who's enjoying their life, guys? So I don't know. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's definitely it is a massive mindset shift, and. It's it's hard work to get there. Have you got any Have you got any advice for people that are doing that sort of eight hours a day and five days a week? How they can get to to the trader's mindset? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing you have to look at first is any time that you're entering or you're doing something where you want to get ahead, you have to look to figure out how to exploit what you're doing. And that's not a negative thing. So like when you use the word exploit, everyone thinks, oh, you're trying to, you know, rip somebody off or you're, you know, trying to sneak through. It's no, it's how do you do things in a more efficient manner to allow yourself to do other things? So, you know, a lot of people come up to me and it's exactly what you say, Cam, is like, you know, Ted, how can I learn how to trade and work full time? It's like, okay, well, you know, you're doing your job. Chances are you're probably proficient at your job. But what you need to start doing is keeping your head down and keeping your mouth shut because there's going to be a lot of times at your job that you have downtime. There's there's no way that you're going to be working 100% of the time every single time you get into your job because I, I used to do that too. I used to walk into the office and you know as soon as I walked in, 20 minutes later, people were on coffee break. It's because like, but you, you probably see this too. It's because you know they didn't see each other for a couple of days and they're like, oh hey, let's go catch up. But you know you're allowed your your breaks when you needed them. And what I was doing was okay. I know how to do my job really efficiently because I was doing it for such a long time. Okay, when I have downtime, I'm not going to walk around the office and do water cooler or you know talk to people and be like, hey, how's it going? And be that loud person in the office. I'm going to be that guy that looks busy constantly. And a lot of stuff that I was busy on was stuff related for me. You know, I wasn't using company resources, but, you know, where people were taking 20 minutes for a smoke break, 10 minutes for a coffee break, whatever they were doing, I wasn't taking those breaks. I was using my time at my desk. So, yeah, you know, there was times where I sat there and I just read, you know, some trading information. I read a trading book. Um, I read some message boards. I, I was doing that. And, you know, people walk by and they're like, oh, are you busy? I'm like, well, I'm sort of on break. And they were like, what are you doing? I'm like, you know, just reading, catching up on some stuff. You know, I wasn't telling them that this is, you know, I was mass, you know, masterminding this, this huge plan for myself. But it was, you know, I looked at opportunities where I was trying to be the most efficient I could. You know, it's the same thing when I was on the bus or the subway coming home from work, I was sitting there reading on my phone. Like I wasn't just sitting on the, on the bus or the subway watching, you know, the different stops go by. Like I was maximizing my time. When I was eating dinner, I would read a little bit as I was eating dinner. You know, I, I wasn't killing myself in terms of, you know, the information overload. But, you know, like if you're sitting in dinner and you have a thought in your head of boredom, pick up your phone and just start reading something. Start looking at something. And it's not – I don't mean go into it into such a heavy detail, but when I used to play basketball in high school and university, the coach used to tell us just carry the ball around with you, right? You just get a feel for the basketball. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to bounce it. You don't have to shoot it, but just carry it around because it reminds you that, hey, this is what you're going to be doing later or the next day. And all the guys on the team all carried a basketball. We just carried it around. We were in class. We carried it in our class. We, you know, put it in our gym bag. We walked around with it. Guys were bouncing it down the street. We were doing whatever. But it was just the idea of that you're always in that mode. You're always in that. And the same thing with trading for me. 
it, it's, it's part of my lifestyle now. And I'm always in that mode. I turn it off. Don't get me wrong. Like on the weekends or when I'm out to dinner and things like that. But you know, if you ask me right now, like what, what the price of gold is, I can tell you pretty much like, you know, it's around 1568, 1565, 15, like in that area, because I'm in that mode. Like I know what I'm looking for mm. and I, I turn it off, but I can turn it on instantly again. And that, I think as a person working nine to five, that's how you have to get, you have to start adding that into your lifestyle. It becomes part of your daily routine. And a lot of people, it takes a lot to adjust, right? You're, you're waking up in the morning, you're groggy, you know, you want your coffee or whatever you do. And now you're eating, you're eating your breakfast. It's like, yeah, now you got a phone in your hand reading charts. You get used to it. It just becomes part of your daily routine. You get you get used to it, like you know. Yeah. And that's. And I mean, like, it's, it's, you're right. It, it's. I mean, like, there's a lot of people. Oh, you know, at an office yesterday, and I was like, it's everyone's either they're on their Gmail or they're on their on the the news sites yep. reading the news when they got the downtime. Yep. I I on the other hand, I've got Trading View up yep. on Incognito, and I've got three screens. One screen people can't really see mm-hmm. so that's got like the trading view charts so i'm i'm flicking through charts i've got possibly like something playing on my uh phone through the through the headset and it could be like a video so you got to i'm watching a video i've got the charts i mean there's so much you can do these days it's ridiculous right where people you know if you've got downtime if you can get your job done in, in three hours a day and you've got five hours spare then just utilize the five hours. Wait. This is, this is, I mean, I, I, ki- I kicked myself back when I was in university and I had, I don't know how many hours free a day. Mm-hmm. That said, the internet wasn't really around then. That's so right. yeah, same it's thing. a, a, yeah, it's a different sort of ball game now. But I, I ended up sleeping most of the day and just wasting time. And had I known that now, and I suppose had the internet been around, I would have been so much more productive and, you know, it was so much wasted time and time is now becoming, was now the most important asset and you've got to sort of, you've got to value that time that you've got. Um, Right, well, I'm going to dive into some some more of the sort of standard questions I've got. That was the first question of the show. I've got about like another 20. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. so, so the next one's really just around your your trading these days. I mean, what does it look like? How many hours do you spend at the charts? Uh, what's your average sort of winning percentage? Uh, trade duration, timeframes that you trade. I'll, I'll dive in. Just yeah, yell off some stats, mm-hmm. and we'll um, dive into the detail here. Yeah. So I, I think I've refined it to the fact that um, now I'm able to trade the USA London overlap. I, I think that's the primary focus. When I first started trading, I was trading all three sessions like a madman, sleeping two hours every like five hours almost. It was like really odd, and you know, trying to work at the same time. But now I've really refined my trading to you know. Those three hours in the morning that I'll work, you know, even on the live stream with Raja, I'll be hunting opportunities. But what I also do now is I've really gotten into the fact of having the market tell me a story. And I think that was the biggest um, obstacle or the biggest uh, key to my learning is there were instances where I looked at my journal and I was losing trades. And I was losing consistently on certain days, certain times. And going through all the stats, like my journal, you know, is, it's like on my Excel sheet, it's, you know, it's pages deep and you start looking at it and you start saying to yourself, it's like, I'm making the exact same mistake over and over and over again. And, and, you know, one point you say, I want to correct that mistake. The next point I'm like, I just don't want to be part of that mistake anymore. So I'll just remove that from what I'm doing and focus on where I'm winning. So 
as a trader, what ended up happening was I started refining my my trading style so much to the fact that now I can sit in a three-hour window, look for a couple of opportunities, hit those opportunities for maybe uh, you know a half-hour trade or an hour trade, grab you know 10, 20, 30 pips out of you know the positions that I'm in, and call it a day. If I miss those opportunities in the London New York overlap or the London USA overlap. Now what I'm doing is I'm anticipating what's going to happen later on, and I might jump into the Asian session, you know, so often because what we missed in the morning or the London USA session is now formulated in the Asian, and I don't want to miss that. So as an example, last night I took a, a buy position with um, the the pound yen, and I ran it all the way into the North American session because. I saw from yesterday, we sort of pulled back and it was a bullish momentum. And then I knew it was going to continue into the Asian session. And I just looked for that confirmation where, okay, we held support on multiple timeframes. And now I think this is going to start to run all the way through just based off of the daily and then looking at the weekly timeframe for a longer term horizon. It's the most fundamental thing as a trader is if you can put all these ideas together and figure out how they work together. It's almost as if you're running a restaurant as you're trading, right? You know, the waiter takes your order, but you know, the cooks are the ones cooking it. Who's buying the food? Like everything has to work together for you to get served that meal at the end of the day. And it's the same thing with trading. You put all these different factors together. And when you refine that, your win rate goes, and my win rate right now, I would say about 80%, um, my win rate is. And my losses come from maybe being overzealous, uh, maybe a little bit overconfidence in terms of the position. And then, you know, sometimes I'm a, I'm a little bit too early for, for, that, for that proper position. But my analysis or what I'm doing in terms of direction is usually 100%. And it scares people because I see things now further down the road that people aren't looking at. I mean, you know, if you've ever been on our YouTube stream, people will call out random price levels and I'll sit back sometimes and I'll chuckle to myself because it's like, you're only seeing like level one data. You're only seeing what you, what you see in front of the charts. I'm already looking at why this is going to go to that level and go back to another level way ahead of time so I can now plot myself accordingly. But that's just because you start to see the stories. Everyone sold off gold yesterday, and I laughed at everybody. I said, this is not the move. This is not the move. And what happened today, it shot right back up. But you know, you understand those stories. It doesn't mean you can't take advantage of those opportunities, but I've gotten to the point now, I'm not looking for short-term opportunities. I want unlimited upside. I don't want to have to guess the possible downside. I want to, I don't, I want to be able to just control my downside and have unlimited upside. So I'm waiting for the trend to continue. That's what I'm doing in the New York session. I'm waiting for trend to continue. I'm waiting for impulse moves, you know, as we get liquidity through for, you know, the North American session open, the uh, North, uh, the NYSE stock exchange open. If I'm trading gold, the London close, I'm looking for those particular ideas, but then I'm keeping in the back of my mind that if I'm in a potential trade before those volume pushes come in, how is the market going to react? Where should I be in the market? Is my is my price that I'm currently at comfortable? Should I take profit now? Um, you know, add a stop, you know, add a trailing stop or add a, you know, a stop in profits. So I'm going through all those things right now so that I can manage my trades. But the biggest thing I've learned in the last five years is 
I want to secure profit as soon as possible. And it's so counterintuitive. If you read everything on the internet, everybody tells you, oh, you know, you have a stop loss for a reason because, you know, you don't want to let your trade run. You know what? Human psychology doesn't allow you to keep taking loss after loss after loss. Even if it's a stop loss, knowing that, you know, you took five trades in a row and you lost three, but those two trades that you won cover your three losses. You know what? You lose four games in a row in the NBA, you're sort of beat up a bit. Like, it doesn't matter what anybody's yeah. going to tell you. Where, and I learned that early on where it's like, hey, you know what? I'll, I'll take a stop loss in profits and I'll get grabbed like a three or four pip trade or a two or three pip trade. And, you know, you get all the people, oh, that's, that's not trading. That's stupid. But in my mind, it's like, you know what? I didn't take a loss and I just added a little bit to my account. And then, you know what? When the trade runs, I got all that as well, but I didn't take all the losses beforehand to now say, okay, well, this is my uh, five to one risk to reward trade that makes up for all those other losses. I didn't have losses. I just had trades that didn't run the way I wanted them to. And I still made a little bit of squeaky profit, you know, whether you're making a $2 trade instead of a $10 trade, you know, you do five of those, that's your $10. And you really didn't do anything to yourself. You're going to trade anyway. So why not put yourself in the best position to continue to win? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've got to sort of, you know, uh, align myself with that. I mean, I, I experimented on a similar approach where I was, because I mean, I used, to, um, used to go like, I want to, you know, hit the home run and see this trade go for miles. And I thought, why don't I just, and it was took me ages to get to the point. I think it was obviously a psychological thing of just, t you know, locking in profit early and it's just at a break-even point yeah. and accepting the break-even as like, you know, a one or two pip yeah. win. And ironically, you know, whereas I'd normally either probably have a, a losing day or several losing days in a row, I actually grew the account because I'd enter and I'd sort of lock on the, you know, some trades would, would go to a, a, even like a, a different, you know, a target of, you know, seven or eight pips. Yep. But then locking in, you know, at, at the point, at a point, you know, just break even or just above break even, and the account grew. And I was like, ah, maybe, maybe it's just getting over that hurdle of, locking in a break even and saying, well, if it gets hit, it gets hit, but I didn't lose anything. Right. I, I, you know, it's better to do it's, that than lose. It's ego. The biggest thing in trading is ego. And you'll find, and, and I know you've talked to some of the brightest traders is you can't have ego in this market. It's, it's so humbling. It's so crippling. And, you know, you, you get people and, and, you know, I'm on social media and I talk to people every day and, and people will criticize because they've read that this is how you're supposed to trade and this is what you're supposed to do. And I sit back and I look and it's like, who are these people to tell me what my comfort level should be and what I'm doing? Like it's my money. And, and I've said this to people so many times is when you trade, when you go to the grocery store and you line up to pay for your groceries, the cashier does not ask you. So how many pips did you grab today? They ask you, are you paying by cash or credit? Like that's, mm. that's what it comes down to. And I think the mindset of many is, well, you know, they want to, they want to, you know, post it for the gram as they call it, or show their friends that, Hey, I got this monster trade. I, I'm just happy being, being able to go to the grocery store and making sure I can grab groceries. Like th it was just my mindset because when you've worked in corporate for, you know, 12, 13 years, and now you have freedom like this, it's like, you don't, you don't take that for granted. Like you, you accept the fact that, Hey, you know, today I only made, you know, a couple thousand bucks. That's okay. Like I'm, I'm comfortable with that, but man, now I got, I can still put food on my plate and it's, it's a, such a humbling experience. And I think as the generations get older, you know, when you start trading and a lot of people are trading in their twenties now, they don't have 
that life experience and you know some of them do don't get me wrong but the majority of them you know they're at home with their parents or you know whatever they're doing they're enjoying their life but you know you start to realize like hey you know i got 50 bucks in my pocket that's going to pay my cell phone bill or that's going to put gas in my car like it's just a different mindset like for me now you know people say well what do you do with you know with with whatever you have it's like well, i pretty much do whatever i want but i don't over exaggerate or go nuts about it but it, it's nice to be able to go hey we're going to dinner whatever i want to eat i want to eat you know i want to go buy a pair of yeah. shoes whatever shoes i want i go buy i want to buy a car i just go look at a car I'm like that's a nice car i want it you know it, it's just you get to that point and it, and it's not about over over indulgence it's about you know understanding the value of money and the, having the respect for that money and being proud that hey i didn't lose any trades this week i'm good at what i'm doing give me my money you know like that's how i look at it right it, it, it's yeah. it, it's it's not an ego thing i don't care and i i really appreciate traders that can make these massive trades and these long-term trades i think that's great for them and i applaud them that's not my style uh, and i don't say that their style is wrong or my style is right it's just do what you're comfortable with and that's the biggest takeaway i can say with when it comes to trading is do what you feel is comfortable don't worry about everybody else until someone else is paying your bills or putting money in your account to trade like you got to just do you and take care of yourself and that's the biggest thing i learned right away I, I listen to people talk in my ear for years and they still do to this day. And I sit there and I'm like, you know what? I was traveling last week. I was on vacation. I'm going on vacation next week. Um, you know, I, I live a pretty good life and I help thousands of people. Like it's, it's a good, like, I'm, I'm happy that you think you should improve on me, but I'm, I'm pretty good on myself. Like, you know, just do your thing. Right. Yeah. So, so I don't ask this question to many people, but given the fact, you know, you've just sort of answered with this answer, I'm going to ask you. So what's your what's your sort of withdrawal, uh, I don't know, frequency or what sort of habit that mm. you, you get into? I mean, how does that look? Because it's probably something that has been in the back of my mind recently. It's like, when, when, do you, when should you withdraw money from an account? So when my first withdrawal was 25000 um, I wanted to have money to pay for some bills. I had, I had some things to take care of. And then my second withdrawal after that was a hundred thousand. Um, funny story is I actually went to the Porsche dealership cause I had made, I pulled out a hundred thousand out of my IC markets account. And, um, you know, I waited three days. Like I didn't sleep cause I was like, are they actually going to send me the money? Like, you know, but <laughs> you, you assume that they are, but you know, deep down inside, I'm like, man, I've never had like a hundred thousand dollars just hit my account. Like what's the bank going to say. Right. And yeah. you know, you sort of look back and I got the money and it was funny. I took, I take the money, I get a hundred thousand and I race over to the Porsche dealership and I sit down with the sales guy, you know, we're chatting and I'm like, you know, I'm looking at the car and then we're, we're going through the options and everything. And I'm looking and then you know, it, it sort of hit me. I'm like, man, I look at my bank account on my phone. I'm like, I've got a hundred thousand dollars in my bank account right now. Like I'm, I'm actually in pretty good shape. Like, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I can buy dinners. I can go out and do stuff. And I looked at the guy and, and it's so funny to this day. I look at him. I'm like, you know what? I don't want the car. He's like, what? I'm like, no, I'm like, I don't want this car anymore. I said, I thought I wanted it. I said, I, I don't need it. I wanted it, but I don't need it. And and that sort of really set me apart where it sort of started to change my life fundamentally where it was nice to have the freedom. It's almost like um, I used to work um, where, where I used to work. We had we managed accounts for the Miami Heat and I used to talk to the HR coordinator at Miami Heat. And she said to me one day, she says, you know, Ted, she says every two weeks in payroll, we have a lineup outside the office. And I'm like, what? 
She's like, yeah, every MBA, every player comes in and they ask for a check. I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah, they want a check because they grew up with their parents getting a check from their office or their job. And they didn't re- they didn't think the money was real until they had the check in the hand and they can bring it to the bank and deposit it. And it was such a it was such an eye opening experience because you have all these NBA players, you know, they're earning hundreds of millions of dollars a year, and you know what you're getting a check for twenty million dollars, and they were literally cutting the check because <laughs> that's what they knew. And 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 you know, when I look back and I looked at what I did, it was like, yeah, you know, I looked at my money, and it's like that's my money, like I have money now, you know, and and you, you sort of you feel good about it, and it's like I don't want anyone touching it, like I don't need a car, I had a car, why do I need another car? I have money. And it's like I went out, and it's like, oh, I'm going to dinner. Well, I don't care what anything costs. I can buy it because I have a hundred thousand in my account, right? And and that sort of changed my mindset. And now when I look at things and I teach people that, I, I we we talk a lot about it. It's like withdraw money to give yourself a comfort level, reward yourself mm-hmm. for what you're doing. It's such an important thing. You're working so hard every day. You're working in the hardest market in the world, and you're sitting there going, I have to grow my account from a thousand dollars to a hundred thousand. No, keep taking out 300 bucks a week. Take out 400 bucks a week. Take out 1000 bucks a week. It adds up in your bank account. And suddenly, you know, now you're going out to buy your pair of shoes. You're buying, buying your shirt or, you know, you're going out on the weekends. Man, you have that extra money. And, and you're doing it. You're doing it. And you're just – it's just a stable income. And eventually, you'll get better and, you know, you'll, you'll do better trades and you'll trade more and you'll find more opportunities. And it's just like – yeah, do do that and just really, really enjoy yourself and don't put these like these astronomical, um, you know, monetary goals in front of yourself. Man, if you can pay like Rasha says, if you can pay your cell phone bill, pay your gas. That's huge. That, that's a, that's absolutely huge. You go out for the evening, you spend three, four hundred bucks. Do that. You know, you know, eventually you get to buy a house or you buy a car or you do other things like that. But pay yourself regularly. You're doing the job. Don't defeat yourself. Because the worst thing in the world is you put in a month's worth of work, you run your account up from five, from like five hundred bucks to five thousand, and then the next week you blow it all. And it's like yeah. you had the money. You could have pulled out a thousand or fifteen hundred bucks and still played with house money at that point. Yeah, yeah. Well it's it's, it's... I mean, a, a guy that, or a friend of mine, he's he's just had a result on a on a stock, and it's shot from, uh, I don't know what it was. It was like a minnow with this co- uh, coronavirus that's mm-hmm. just shot mm-hmm. up, and he made seventy five grand in a in a day. And I and it occurred to me just yesterday, I was like, hang on a sec, why didn't he just take out his initial investment? Because I worked out what it was. It was about ten grand. Yeah. I was like, why didn't he just take out his initial investment? He's now got sixty five sitting there that he can just play with. And you've got, it's risk-free. It's completely risk-free. But I, mean, I don't think he's going to do that. But, but yeah, it's like just take some money out. Yep. Just take some, just sell some stuff off. And, and you, you know, it, your mindset will just fundamentally change because he's, he's looking at it to go, to go I don't think it's to um, currently at about a dollar to $15, which is a long way away. Mm-hmm. And with that sort of thinking that you've got the 10 there, if you get that off the table, you don't really care now. Right. You don't really care, so yeah. So uh, uh, yeah, withdrawing the money. Okay, uh, that's good advice. That's, I like that. I like that. Right. Next question is: uh, if you're going to recommend someone to look at a, a price chart and start studying three things, what would they be? Um, what I would want you to do is mark out the highs and lows of the chart. Get used to the cosmetics of the chart. A lot of people 
are are so focused on you know trying to grab entries and everything but just get a feel for how the chart moves the the charts each chart is individual so each pair that you trade is individual it has its own nuances really dive into those nuances where you know you look at one pair compared to another one and you try and apply the same principles it doesn't work so the we focus on and, and what I try and preach is, you know, focus on one, two or three pairs and just really understand the nuances, you know, where are the volume pushes, you know, and the best thing that I tell people is take a look at what you've done in your charts, mark out your highs and your lows, just very simplistically, and then look at where all the big volume candles are, where are the largest candles, and then each day that you go back to a previous day, See if they start reoccurring, like if they're within an hour or two. You know, the market's not always going to be exact, but, you know, if you have a three-hour window, if you were to map out a three-hour window, say from 9 a.m. Eastern till 12 p.m. Eastern every day, if you were to overlap your charts for the last 20 days for that one pair, what are the similarities that you see? And that's the biggest thing that you're doing because it's essentially with anything else in, in life is you're preparing yourself. The more prepared you are for any sort of uh, change or any sort of uh, item in the chart, the more confident you're going to be in terms of what you're doing. And a lot of people don't take the time to do that. And that was the first couple of things that I did is I looked and I'm like, wait a second, every day at this around this time, there's this huge move. So then in my head, I'm like, okay, I just have to show up a little bit earlier and plan to attack that move. And sure enough, it would show up every single day. And, you know, for two or three weeks, we would, we would hit the same move over and over again because we had figured out that, hey, that's when that's happening. And then, you know what, the market cycles differently the following month, and then we adjust again. But overlaying all that information and just seeing where the possible moves have happened and then saying to yourself, how would I have been able to take that trade if I was available at that time? That's the biggest thing that people have to start doing on the charts is going back, not just looking at them and saying, oh, well, price hit here back in February. That doesn't matter. But it's more the fact that, hey, how did price get to that point? And how would I have been able to take those positions to be profitable at that point? Yeah, that's good advice. I mean, I literally, uh, Monday and Tuesday this week, was looking at GJ mm-hmm. at the same time, and I'm like, I, I swear that's the exact same move yep. that happened two days in a row over the period of maybe two or three hours. Yep. I'm like, damn. Well, see, and, that, and, and to is... your point, you saw that. I see that all the time, and now I execute on that where everybody else is looking at it going, Wait a second. We saw the same thing yesterday, and I'm already in the end. I'm already in the position going. Yeah, I know. I've I've seen this over the last four years. We we cycle through the market like this. <laughs> yeah. Like we're you know you get to those certain levels where you know you, exactly what you said. You said you know I saw it for the last couple of days. The exact same thing. It's like yeah, I'm already past that. I know it's coming the next day again. And as soon as I see that hint of the exact same move, I'm in because it's going to repeat yeah. itself, right? And that's yeah. just comes with experience, but it comes with the details in the charts and the details of how you're doing what you're doing. And you picked up on it perfectly, but people now, you know, and, and people start second guessing themselves. They're like, well, that's not, that, it shouldn't be that easy. It's like, no, it's not that easy. It's you figured out little keys to help you execute. And that was the hard part because last year at this time, you probably didn't even recognize that. So you've evolved and people forget that progress and they, they get scared that it becomes easy. Yeah, it's supposed to become easy when you've put a thousand hours of chart time in. 
like if it's not easy at if there's certain things that aren't easy at a certain point like you have to reevaluate like should you really be trading yeah it's got to be easy enough to be able to i mean these guys i know that uh do this day in and day out and i think they they never have a losing day mm. right and to do that it's got to be easy enough that there's no you know you're not just guessing stuff right you're you're, so, you're putting yourself in a position yeah. to win mm-hmm yeah, exactly, exactly. Hey, so on fundamentals, I mean, how do you approach the news? Okay. Big big news event coming out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing with fundamentals, and this is what I tell people, is trade a currency pair where you live. So like if you're in the United States, if you're in Europe, if, you know, UK or Canada or, you know, New Zealand or wherever you are, try and find a pair that runs with your current country. I mean, obviously, there's some pairs that won't run or, you know, you're only going to trade the majors. That's fine. But it gives you a little bit of a leg up. And and the reason why I say this is if you look at all the major news events fundamentally, um, say Brexit, for example, all the major news outlets were reporting that the UK didn't want to leave. Right. But if you actually deep dived and you read the local newspapers in each of the areas that they were voting, they all said they wanted to leave. Right. So. <laughs> Those are the little things. So it's like when Raj and I talk on, on the live streams and we go through things and we talk about fundamental news for Canada, we live in Canada. We should know like the back of our hand what's going on, but also at the same time, we're firsthand in the economy, right? I can tell you right now what's going on with the housing economy in Toronto, you know, like it's 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 bouncing around. It's 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 okay. It's starting to pick up steam again, you know, in terms of the economy, in terms of unemployment, we're doing really well right now, you know, it's very low. So you have those little pieces of data because you're sitting in front of the news and they're talking local news. So that's the first thing that I tell people to start doing is just get involved with watching your local news to just get a, a feel for what's going on in your world and then start expanding. And and the best thing I also tell people is network with people in other countries. Like we have a lot of people in Europe and the UK that we talk to on a daily basis. So I don't necessarily read the news for Brexit. I'll talk to, you know, whoever is on the stream from the UK and say, hey, like, what are you guys doing over there? Is it, is it still a mess? And you get firsthand knowledge. Oh, yeah, this is what's happening. That's what's happening. And then you can supplement it with, you know, your your CNN or your BNN or your Bloomberg News and get a feel for what's going on. But ultimately, to dissect and interpret that information, you still need to know the economic impacts so i always recommend people if you didn't take an economics in school go look up free economics courses online like harvard stanford mit they all do these free courses that you can go on there and look at the news events that are coming up whether it's a gdp or you know interest rate and take that information and bring it to an economics course and see what happens when interest rates go up when interest rates go down and see how they affect the economy based on your, you know, what you're reading or your education, and then now apply it to the charts. And suddenly now you have a fundamental base. And if you know the major uh, political events that are going on in your country, the major economic events, you have those in the back of your head, right? Like for the longest time, we knew the UK was, was had a lot of instability with Brexit. It was pushing the pound weaker. But we knew once Brexit finished, stability would be brought back. So right away, you know, okay, as we're coming close to Brexit completing, maybe the pound is going to rebound. But now when you look at the charts for the pound, pound was so low economically that 
it was almost it, – it's forced to move back that way because like I tell people, you can't have such an inverse relationship with currency. That's why it moves in waves. If currency goes up too high, it costs you too much to trade. If it goes down too low, it costs the other country too much to trade, right? So there has to be that fine balance all the time because – FX is used for commerce. You know, you're doing trades with other countries. You're doing trades with other businesses. You you can't afford to have such an imbalance. And when you know, and that's the other thing is people tell me, oh, GJ is going to drop to like 120. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I'm like that would decimate the UK economy because who's going to trade with the yen at that much strength? You know, and it's the same thing if the pound shoots up to 155. You know, the the pound yen goes to 155. It's going to be so hard for them to trade. So now you start to look and you see on the chart on a weekly time frame or even an hourly time frame, there is a range. You start to see where it bounces to the highest part of the range, pulls back. There's obviously anomalies where we go up very quickly, but it pulls back right back into that range overall. And a lot of people don't understand that confluence and they don't put that together. And what that does is it penalizes you because now you're starting to make these outrageous claims or these outrageous targets and it doesn't make sense. Like – I, living in Canada, we if I trade the U.S. dollar, Canadian dollar, I know that the U.S. dollar, Canadian dollar fluctuates between 133 and like 128 because any higher or lower, it affects the economies. But I just know that because we've always been in that spot and the only time that we've had parity or we've had big discrepancies when there's been a, a big economic event, you know, like when we had the, the mm. U.S. market crash, the dollar was at par at that point. But the U.S. dollar was in destruction mode, right? 2008, we had so much turmoil. So that was an anomaly event. That wasn't an everyday occurrence. And as soon as the U.S. dollar recovered, we went back to, you know, what we say, like, it's usually like a dollar 30. For, for every dollar uh, U.S., it costs us a dollar 30 Canadian. So when it's around that rate, we're, we know we're in a stability zone at that point. Okay, cool. Hey, look, um, we, we've got about five minutes left and we, I've got, my quick fire, fire round, which we're not going to get through all of them, but okay. I'm going to pick a couple of questions out and then hit the guys with the last, hit you with the last question mm-hmm. for the listeners, and then we'll wrap up. So, first one is, uh, what's your mental approach to trading, and do you have any special techniques you can share with us? Um, if I'm not 100% certain on what I'm doing, I don't execute. What strategies do you use to exit or manage active trades? Uh, what I'm doing is I'm looking left to see where we have the next point of rejection. And normally in momentum, we'll get to that point. And what I'll do is I'll try and close just before we get to the red rejection point within the body of the candle to the left. If there was one thing you recommend any retail trader spend the next month mastering, what would it be, why, and how could they go about mastering it? Um, I would figure out emotionally what triggers you. Um, figure out what triggers you in terms of how you manage yourself on a day-to-day basis and then look to read uh, behavioral books, psychology books to understand those emotions and then release yourself from those triggers. Because a lot of people say, you know, I have discipline problems. The discipline comes from outside factors. It doesn't come from trading. Trading is a manifestation of the discipline problem. So you have to go back and look at yourself personally and say to yourself, where am I going wrong in my life well not wrong but where is there an impasse in my life that's creating this problem um i'm chasing money i don't have a good job i'm scared you know i'm lost where are those feelings coming from and those manifest the most in the charts and as you're trading when you learn to control those and you learn to understand yourself 
you become very stoic and trading becomes a lot easier because now you're you're aware of what I have to stay away from when I'm managing my emotions. Now, the uh, just on that, so have you got a tr- uh, trading psychology book you'd recommend? Um, no, I think trading psychology books are very, like, very, very, like, closed in terms of topic. Um, so, you know, if you look at Mark Douglas, he did a, you know, trading his zone, everyone talks about that. Take a step further, and I go into actual psychology, human psychology, and figure out, you know, traumatic experiences, things that you've been, you know, scared to do, uh, are you risk adverse, things of that nature, where does, where does your greed come from, where does your envy come from, you know, what triggers you in terms of anger, what triggers you in terms of being happy, read psychology books, general psychology books, and learn about yourself, and, you know, even go speak to a professional and get them to deep dive for you, because the more you can be trained to be an athlete or be, you know, in terms of performance for, for trading, the better off you're going to be. Because if you're able to master and understand where you go wrong with your emotions, then you are going to be 100% more comfortable in the charts because you'll know, hey, uh, I'm not in the right frame of mind right now. I shouldn't, be ac- I shouldn't be on the charts or, hey, I'm very comfortable right now. I can execute accordingly. Right. Last question of the show, Ted. So we'd like you to give us the bones of a, of a trading strategy, entry setup, stop loss, take profit targets, market time frame. basically something our listeners can have a bit of a play with at home this week. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so if you are at home this week, uh, I'm looking at gold right now uh, in terms of where we are in the market and you know, just looking at the daily level, um, 1561 was a very, very strong support. And what I'm looking to see is I'm looking to see us bounce off that support and potentially go back up to maybe 1579, 1580. But the key point there is waiting for the daily candles to perfor- to perform a rejection at that lower level and now go bullish. So right now we're at a point where we're creating sort of a consolidation region. And then what I would do is I'd look at the smaller time frames uh, during the New York market open or you know the USA open and start executing based on that and then trying to go from a zone to zone. And usually with, with gold, you can get about 10 to 20 pips and maybe you know a 15 minute or a half an hour candle and really watch how the world is working with gold in terms of being a safe haven, in terms of it having, uh, you know, impacts with, you know, the coronavirus, instability with the U.S. government, things of that nature. And as the market continues to move up, I'd be looking to take positions in that way. But once again, if we break 1561 or 1560, I'd be looking for the downside to around 1551. And you can see those on your daily level charts. What you're doing is you're trying to drive down into the zone of those previous levels, you're not trying to pass them. Because remember, as you enter a price zone, you're going to consolidate sometimes through it before it breaks all the way through. But really with gold, I'm looking for more upside. I'm just waiting to see that the daily candle and even the weekly candle starts to give us a bullish formation at that. Cool. Well, look, before we wrap up, what's the best way for the guys to get hold of you? Um, once again, Instagram, uncle, uh, uh, uncle underscore Ted underscore. Uh, you can check on the live streams. I'm usually there with uh, Wix Don't Lie in the morning, youtube.com forward slash Wix Don't Lie. And I mean, I usually answer all my DMs. My only thing is if I don't answer your DM, it's because the answer is already on my page. So give me a good question and, and I'll definitely get back to you. That's not a problem. 
Cool. Well, look, a big thank you to Ted for sharing with us today. Everything we've discussed here, yep. along with all the links, are in the show notes. To find them, simply search for Ted in the search box on tradingnut.com. Until next time, I wish all my listeners trading happiness and success. So there we have it, folks. Interview with Uncle Ted done. Hopefully you took a few takeaways out of that. And if you didn't, and you want a little bit more, or even if you did, head over there to tradingnut.com and we've got a video where you can actually see Ted walk through a price chart and talk, tell us a little bit more about how he does what he does. So head over there, tradingnut.com. There are links on your mobile app in the description. So you could either click on those or copy and paste them or just go to tradingnut.com, whatever you want to do. Um, do be sure to leave a review on whatever you are listening to this on. And last but not least, I'll give you a quick update on the Robot Traders Club that I have running. So we've got a robot on there that is doing really well. So it's uh, it left the lab. We've now got it in the graduate section. And it's uh, taken a $100 account, just, just, just tipped over the $500 mark in terms of profit. So we've taken the $100 out, and it's now just running on the profit. Uh, it's hit over the $500 mark, and it did that in just under three months. I think it was like one or two days under three months. Um, there are little updates being posted on the Instagram channel. So if you want to head over there, you can find those uh, links once again in the show description. And if you want to build your own robots, then I'll tell you what, there's a course, I teach a course, it's a 21-day course, but it's not that, like, it's not intensive for 21 days. You, it's 21 days to get through it, but it's not that intensive. You'll learn the skills to build your own trading robots or to automate what you do. Trust me, it's a skill worth learning, worth having, and it's 21 days away for you guys who are wanting to take the leap uh, who are listening to the show today. All right, guys. Well, look, I'm going to leave you there. Until next time, have a great trading week, and I'll, I don't see you on the board. Don't, if you don't hear me on the podcast, you can see me on the Instagram stories or Instagram. I'm over there mostly now or on the YouTube channel. All right, guys. See you there. Bye.